everybody, and welcome once again to an episode of SideQuest here on the PNB Podcast Network. It's been a little while, but I'm super excited to be back for you guys. This week, I'm talking to Will Fulton of CBS Interactive. Will is the video game guy on CBSI's creative video team. So if you've seen GameSpot's ad where that really convincing Geralt of Rivia cosplayer is walking around New York City and playing The Witcher 3 on the Nintendo Switch on the subway, then you've seen Will's work. Will was also a game critic and spent several years reviewing games and writing about other tech-related topics. Um, He and I both worked at Digital Trends together for a few years, so that's how I know Will. This week, we talk a lot about the difference between Will's work as a reviewer versus his work now as a creative video producer. We also spend quite a bit of time talking about a topic that I am very fond of, but that we haven't gotten a lot of chance to cover on this show, and that's tabletop gaming. Will is a huge board game player, so we spend some time talking about some of his favorite games, how he got into them, as well as get a few suggestions and uh, recommendations just for people who might be listening to this and are new to tabletop gaming in general. So uh, even if you haven't uh, had a lot of experience playing board games or tabletop games or even card games, but you've been interested in getting into uh, tabletop gaming of some kind, stick around. Will has a lot of good suggestions and uh, just in general is a really fun conversation. Now, before we get to the interview, I just have to give a shout out to our patrons over on patreon.com PNB. They're what let us make fun shows like this and talk to interesting people. So if you like what we do, please head over to patreon.com PNB and consider becoming a patron. Uh, Patreon subscribers get special early access to all of the PNB Presents feed, uh, as well as some other special goodies here and there, like bonus episodes and other fun content like that. I also want to just say real quick, just a thanks to all of our listeners, regardless of if you're a Patreon subscriber or not. We really appreciate your support and just listening to these shows. Um, I know it's a weird time out there right now. And speaking on behalf of everyone at the PNB Network, we really appreciate you guys letting us into your lives, even if just for, you know, an hour or two a week here and there. It really means a lot that you enjoy the content we make. So yeah, we hope you guys are doing well, staying safe, and I hope that you guys enjoy this episode. Maybe it'll give you something to do uh, if you're stuck inside and have some extra time on your hands right now, like a lot of us do. Anyway, that's enough plugs for now. Let's get on to my interview with Will Fulton. All right, Will Fulton, welcome to PNB Presents SideQuest. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you today. Kind of kind of crazy times we're, we're living in currently, but, you know, we have yeah. video games to talk about, so there's there's still that, some normalcy you can yeah, hold on to. Yeah, you know, I think we are, we are uniquely well prepared for this moment. <laughs> this is our, our time to shine. Right, yeah. I thought I saw earlier there was a hashtag, something like hashtag gamers versus COVID-19 or something like that. (laughs) So that's where everyone's uh, minds are right now. But today we're going to be talking a little bit about what you do in the games industry and uh, some of the stuff you do outside of the games industry that are still gaming related. So, uh, Will, just really quickly, could you give the listeners an overview uh, like what you do in your day-to-day job? Sure. Yeah. So I... um... 
am basically a marketing creative. I work for uh, CBS Interactive, which is the digital wing of CBS, like the broadcast network. Uh, I didn't realize until I started working for them that they also own a bunch of mass market websites like oh. uh, Entertainment Weekly, uh, CNET, uh, and most relevantly for me is GameSpot. Right, um, yeah. So I was um, briefly at GameSpot directly for like a month as uh, doing some commerce stuff. But for about six months or so, I have been with um, Studio 61, which is the in-house branded content team at CBSI. Um, cool. So basically, we will... Um, pitch and uh, mostly film most of what we do is is video but we do kind of a bunch of random stuff but we will uh pitch uh and develop branded content for kind of outside clients that is then uh hosted on our website so i'm specifically the the games content editor which means i'm the creative focus specifically on the games industry um, i know you of course because i was a journalist uh for uh, like four or five years, mostly at Digital Trends. Right. Um, so they brought me in because I um, both have spent the last five years covering the industry as a journalist, so I'm pretty familiar with it. Um, and then previous to that, I spent like a decade or so um, making theater. Um, so uh, I had some production experience. And I guess particularly they were, um, it, they took a while to, to fill this position. And they were seeing a lot of people that were just doing kind of branded content stuff and they were bored by the ideas. So I think they liked the sort of like outsider angle of like this weirdo has just been making indie things <laughs> coming up with, with weird ideas. You're um, the, you're the perfect storm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, a very weird position that I, I was kind of uniquely qualified to fill after like a, a year plus of, of unemployment from that's, when DT laid me off. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, the the great reckoning. As I I know some of our old colleagues still there call it that to this day. Um, wow, but yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, but um, yeah, that's a, those those kinds of jobs where you kind of like it's a weird thing. You don't really it just kind of you kind of made it into your thing. Those are always the most interesting. I feel like, um, and that's really cool. So you are the video guy, video game guy on the the team that you were part of. So it's not like a whole group of like people that are like super into games making only gaming content. Yeah, I mean, I am. I'm I'm based out of the San Francisco office, so GameSpot editorial is downstairs, but they're kind of okay. off doing their own thing. So I um, am am sometimes collaborating with them and kind of the their sort of um, they have their own branded people inside. Um, and like we have kind of worked with the same marketing people, but for the most part within my team, I am the gaming expert. Um, like we're, we're a very small team. We kind of work with the minimum number of people and resources gotcha. possible in general. So we have around the same time I started, like we have brought in a, a sports guy, Macklin as well. Um, who, just because we have a lot of sports things, obviously through CBS. Um, so we yeah. have like a, a sports guy, me, the gaming person, um, Steiny, who does um, like a lot of B2B stuff, um, and we're looking to hire someone to focus on tech for CNET. But yeah, it's I'm kind of often like the the sort of the gaming champion. I am like kind of the the right. one in the room there to be like the the big old nerd who who knows and loves games and is there to like uh, add a little bit of of expertise and flavor. That's awesome. So is it? 
is it fair to say then that if there is you know gaming related content out of out of there like you you are directly responsible for pretty much all of it uh if it's out of studio 61 yeah for okay. sure that, that yeah. will pass through my hands um which you know there, there's not a ton of it i guess of the uh examples of, of stuff that i have done uh that's gaming specific so far yeah. was a um uh this uh promotional video for the witcher coming to switch yes uh, which... i remember that video yeah yeah, that was that was the first really fun thing I did where we got this um uh CDPR actually reached out to us about this. They kind of had the idea for the campaign and they wanted us to be um the American partner to execute it where they had cosplayers uh as the characters from the game uh and they had like a campaign of different people characters around the world from like Yennefer and Dandelion but we got mm -hmm. Geralt. Um so we this uh incredible you if you've seen cosplay of Geralt, you've seen this guy uh, his yeah. name is Ben. He goes by Mall Cosplay from Germany. He and his wife or, or girlfriend, I can't remember exactly, who does his uh, makeup are, are like a, a cosplay team. Uh, and they came out to New York and we filmed, uh, it's called Witcher on the Go, the NYC Hunt, I think, which was like a super by committee title, ultimately, as yeah. all of these things are. But sure. um uh, yeah, so it was like Geralt uh, shows up in Manhattan um, to um, could, oh he buys a switch, but it's a the sort of hook that we I came up with around it was um, he finds a poster for the Bull of Wall Street and spends the day kind of wandering around trying to find it before yeah. going to attack the statue. Um, so that was a ton of fun. That was just like a really uh, quick like cosplay character based sketch. That we did and then the other um big kind of gaming endemic one that we did uh, a couple months ago was we interviewed um beat games uh we i me and a, a few people went over to prague to interview the developers okay. of beat saber um uh, on behalf of facebook oculus this was like literally the deal was like they were, you know, signing the paperwork while we were there. Because when we, right after we got back, they announced that Facebook had bought them. You know, they okay. weren't just like, because they were like already one of the launch titles on the Quest, which is what those was specifically to promote. Um, but yeah, now they actually, there are an, an in-house studio for Facebook. But yes, yeah, so we flew over to, um, to Prague, to the Czech Republic, to interview uh, the folks who made Beat Saber. And they're all like super sweet, really lovely. Um, it was just a fun little... Um, promotional piece just about like how they made the game where it came from uh, and what's so great about it like i really love beat saber it was a pretty easy that was it's always easy when the game is something that i think is genuinely cool you know right yeah yeah <laughs> yeah that i i know a lot of people i haven't played it myself but i know a lot of people really really dig it it kind of feels like at least for me it's like the I, I understand why it's been sort of the breakout VR game because it feels like the first thing I've played that's like complete and medium specific, you know, like it's right. everything yeah. else has just been kind of like a tech demo noodling around. Um, a lot of it too much, I think, is just sort of like I covered a lot of VR when I was a DT, sort of when it was really happening. Um, it, so much of it was just kind of obsessed with like porting existing game types into vr right. you know that we know yeah. work otherwise instead of doing this like basic experimental work of like what can we do here that we cannot do otherwise and beat saber is just like the perfect example of that that like you know explains itself immediately to you yeah it'll be interesting to see how 
uh, other VR developers take that response to Beat Saber and spin off from it. Because I feel like, you know, even Half-Life Alex is still trying to do a, a very video gamey thing, or I guess, you know, controller based video game thing rather than um, really leaning into what makes VR so different. So that's, that's interesting though. Yeah, yeah, I've been really curious to when Nintendo's finally going to throw their hat in the ring. Yeah, I mean, like yeah. a decade after everyone else is like the trend for everything they do, but like and and not know. made out of cardboard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but like well, eventually, when it's super well proven, Nintendo right. will do VR, and I bet they're going to do some like really fun, playful stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I I had not even imagined that. Now, now you got me excited about that. That'll be that'll be <laughs> cool. Um, so obviously, you know the work you do now is very different. I mean, it's still in video games and it's probably a type, you know, it's a type of job that maybe some people who are interested in being in the games industry might not hear a lot about because it's kind of a behind the scenes thing, but it's very creative, uh, you know, very, uh, still very steeped in, in the gaming industry, but it's not like what we were doing, you know, when we were at DT. Uh, so how does, has, the change in job and uh, I guess day-to-day responsibilities, has that changed your relationship with games? Yeah. Um, I mean, definitely a, a lot of, excuse me, sorry. <clears throat> um, yeah. I mean, for, for DT, I was just sort of like a generalist journalist. So I, I did a right. lot of different things, but uh, I no longer do criticism, which reviewing a game is like a a very distinct way to play them that is like not always good or healthy (laughs) especially for like really long games yeah um and it took me a long time to you know obviously i like everyone who gets into reviewing games i was really excited to like yeah i get to be paid to play video games like this is amazing yeah um, and I loved writing criticism too. You know, it wasn't just that. Like, I came from I reviewed theater for a long time, which is how I like okay. had a, a portfolio that I used to get the DT job in the first place. Um, so I, I just really I love the act of writing criticism, but games are just very long, <laughs> and to do them yeah. under the time constraints that that we often had. You know, I think the the worst one that I keep going back to was Fallout Four. Um, mm. But, you know, Bethesda, of course, famously, like, kept (laughs) closing and closing the amount of time that they gave reviewers and then just, like, kind of eliminated it entirely and started giving it to streamers instead. Um, Yeah. But uh, that was uh, an incredibly long game that I I mainlined in, like, a week. And I reviewed it pretty positively, you know? I think you, when you spend that much time doing something, you have to justify it to yourself on some sure. level why you're doing it so there's like a stockholm syndrome that comes in <laughs> um and especially for a game like that that's really meant to just sort of like soak up time uh you can really yeah. just kind of like lose yourself in it and at times like yeah this is great i'm feeling it i'm loving it uh but the further and further i got i was like oh that was not well spent or interesting time at all what was your final score on that i don't remember uh i don't remember either probably like four <laughs> Okay. At least a four, but I, I remember thinking it, it felt too high. You know, yeah, we DT did a four or did a five point scale, right, or or a ten yes. point. Where it was like, yeah, it was sort of a five point, but it was actually a ten point because we could right. get half points. It was silly that we really held yeah. on to numeric scores, even when a lot of other um, 
video game sites dropped them like there was kind of a, a wave of people doing it of just like a, a general recommend or, or yes or no sure. plus yeah. some uh some bullet points which you know we didn't do that we didn't do it it was weird that we scored video games like that because we didn't in our our movie reviews that's right yeah that's right um and, and i did you know i did mostly i didn't review any games specifically i did a lot of gaming related hardware like yeah. uh, the headsets were really kind of my my thing while i was there um and you know a few other av related stuff but i always use it as an excuse to just play video games on the clock but yeah i we even had numbers there i didn't i totally forgot that we didn't score movie reviews that that's true. yeah i mean it wasn't nearly as big a section but like it's right it's right. indicative of something you know it, i always thought it was interesting that games were kind of stuck in this weird middle ground between um subjective media and consumer products right and like how we reviewed them or and approached them and like dt being a site that like mostly did consumer products meant that like we reviewed it under the same rubric and i always found that very frustrating yeah in a, in a weird way in hindsight i, I i'm always kind of glad that i wasn't uh subject to some of the weird restrictions and and things that dt had that i mean just subjectively i didn't feel like we're the greatest not not passing any objective judgment on it necessarily but um but yeah that's it's it's it just reviewing games is weird and, yeah. and i it's it, so you know when you're playing a game these days are you thinking about like oh i could use you know i should we should reach out to these people for this sort of thing or is it just completely like a hobby again but that you know you happen to deal with in a, in a creative way at work um yeah i mean it's it's definitely become more recreational again it's like a a pervasive hobby you know it's one that yeah. i, I <clears throat> you know i've i've always played games and, and thought about games and loved them and so I, I think i as soon as it occurred to me over um starting around five years ago that I could really build a career around them. It's been hard to not like, I'm a fairly obsessive person. Um, so sure, before, yeah. I, before I, I did this, I was, I was like, I, right after college, I moved to New York um, um, in order to pursue theater ostensibly. And like just the idea of kind of making my life about storytelling. Um, and I think games really pretty directly just kind of picked up that energy um, in terms of okay. just my consuming my interest as a, as a medium. Does yeah. That that, yeah. That totally makes sense. And actually, you know, it's funny. Uh, you know, I knew, I knew uh, that you had done and I I think, do you still do some theater stuff or? I'm pretty out of it. It's been, it's been a oh, long okay. time, but yeah. Not, well, I, I knew I that that was part of your, <laughs> well, I mean, if, if you do, let me know. That'd be, that'd yeah. be interesting to talk, talk about, but uh, um Cause I also have a theater background. I did it through oh. all through high school and, and college. Uh, I didn't know that that's, I mean, I did know that, but I didn't realize, you know, even just writing the notes for the show, I didn't even think of that. That's such a good, uh, just a good touchstone. But uh, now it makes all the more sense though. Um, you know, why maybe you gravitated towards the, the CBSI uh, gig where it's, it, you're doing more storytelling. You're doing more of a, a creative stuff than just the graphics get a five and the, the 
controls get a three, you know, that sort of thing, you know? Yeah, no, I, I'm definitely interested in, as I think of it, I'm kind of moving up the chain of cultural production, you know, there you working go. at DT, which was like a very um, consumer focused kind of like trades uh, paper almost, you know, very right. kind of like reviews designed to, to direct consumers to products, very functional in that regard. Um, yeah. And now that I'm like working in marketing, I'm kind of more directly selling those things. And then ultimately my hope is that I can um, move up to, to making things in and of themselves that, that other people yeah. can sell. I don't really like marketing that much to be no, honest. No, I, I understand. I understand. Um, uh, part of, part of the, the blessing in disguise after, um, after the, the, the layoffs that we were uh, part of um, was that I, was able to kind of do some of the more creative stuff that I wanted to. So I really, I, I am totally resonating with what you're saying about wanting to, you know, make stuff that, you know, you can have other people sell and, and, and not have to worry about that side of it. But yeah, I mean, if you work in, in any kind of criticism or like you said, if we were covering games and, and culture and media and you have any kind of inclination to make them, it gets really hard to suppress that desire after long, you know? Really oh Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I it, actually it was funny because the entire time that I was there, I was working on uh, um, a board game that only just came out uh, at the beginning of this year. Oh, and, right, I remember that. Yeah, and um, yeah, it took forever. And it, actually, I need to update some things. It needs it needs a little bit of a refresh on some of the rules after more people have have been able to play test it and, and get give me some feedback. But it's 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 really weird the uh, the difference uh in terms of of just fulfillment between those things and i i would imagine there's probably a difference definitely for for what you do now between what we used to do yeah no it's um i i found some satisfaction in my work at dt like i said i really loved writing uh criticism in particular um, right. Yeah. And I and towards the end, I, I really enjoyed some of the. Um, I got a chance to do like some studio visits. Like I went over to um, to England to Birmingham to um, talk to Rare uh, right Ooh, before yeah, Sea of Thieves yeah. came out, uh, yes. which uh, I, I loved that game. I, I keep meaning to go back. Uh, I've been scared because I don't know anyone else who plays. <laughs> but um, uh, I think so, our yeah. I think our old colleague Brad Burke still plays once in a while. Oh wow, that's great. Yeah. yeah. So that was a ton of fun. And um, so, yeah, I, I enjoyed the sort of proximity to, to developers and chance to talk to them and to sort of right. con- uh, criticize work. But uh, I did not really like the, a lot of the day-to-day of being a journalist. So this definitely the – it's very project-based. You know, I don't my, – my days are kind of – boom and bust, you know, I'll, I'm some days I'll have like four different things at various stages of development mm-hmm. and production that I need to like check in on other days. I'll have a week of just like brainstorming random ideas of how Cheez-Its can reach <laughs> Overwatch fans. Okay. Uh, it's, it's weird. Um, but I like that, you know, I, I think my, my ADHD is served well by, um, by a project based cycle of just like, it's not about like regular tasks, but it's more about just like boom and bust of, of getting particular things done. That makes sense. As a uh, as a as a fellow uh, 
ADHD diagnose uh, <laughs> I yeah. I understand that completely. Uh, definitely feeling a lot of a lot of the same vibes in this uh, in this episode. Love it. Um, yeah, I was only diagnosed um, very very recently um, towards the like right before I got laid off from DT. One wow, of my, we my were- last acts of that insurance was to go and get tested and get some, uh, get a prescription for Adderall. Cause I was just like having so much trouble focusing at that job by the end. I'm actually, I literally just got, I'm not, this sounds wild, but I literally just got goosebumps. Cause that is exactly, that is exactly my story as well. Oh, it, wow. was, it was, we were laid off in June and I got diagnosed the May before that. Yeah. Yeah. So, something like that for me too. Yeah. And I, same thing. I got my Adderall prescription and was able to jump into the freelancing lifestyle with uh, <laughs> a bunch of, bunch of focus and haven't looked back since. Um, but yeah, man. Um, so, okay. We touched on it uh, a little bit and um, you know, the, 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 the day-to-day video game industry stuff, uh, you know, it's, part of why I wanted to talk to you, but I also want to talk about another topic that we both have in common and, and that would be board games. And um, so, I mean, we don't really talk a lot about board games um, on the main uh, PNB podcast. Uh, they come up every once in a while, but uh, this is something that, you know, I, I obviously do a bit, quite a bit and I made one and I know you do, play them uh, a lot. So kind of, I guess, give us a, you know, general overview. What is, what is the, what are your favorite board games? You know, what are you playing right now? That sort of thing. Yeah. Oh uh, God. I was just talking with someone earlier today about how, how I'm terrible at picking favorite anything. <laughs> well, I hate to put you on the spot. You don't have to. I can list many. Yeah. Um, no, I, I'm similar with video games. I've just like always, my whole life literally loved board games. You know, growing up, yeah. it was like the same Classics is everyone, the the battleships and monopolies and yeah. uh, scrabbles and all that. Um, but um, I think my, my modern board game awakening came with, um, uh, have you played Carcassonne? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. The, um, I initially, like my dad got Carcassonne. He, uh, when my parents got divorced, you know, my brother and I would go spend weekends with him. So he like found some board game shop that like recommended some pretty good stuff including uh, Carcassonne which I think was the one we ended up playing the most and I something reminded me of it like seven years ago or so so I got a Mm -hmm. copy and um, started playing like every week with my buddy Adam um, after we would watch Game of Thrones, which was airing at the time. Oh, yeah. That's a perfect opportunity to play that. That's Yeah, that's awesome. yeah and, this, and this was like season two or three. This was like really peak Game of Thrones when it was like actually quite good. Um, and so, yeah, we would um, watch the Game of Thrones and then play the Game of Thrones. Uh, I was like, <laughs> all, we were kind of perfect foils for each other. I was always like obsessed with like building the biggest and most preposterous cities possible, and he really liked stealing them. So it, it worked well. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, for for people who maybe don't know, could you give like a quick uh, overview of the game? Yeah, of course. Um, It's a uh, sort of a classic hero game at this point where you are are pulling little square tiles out of a bag uh, that have various segments of this, uh, like a a idyllic French countryside. Uh, Carcassonne is uh, famous for 
having a bunch of um, like old Roman battlements and castles still there, I believe. Um, so these little squares have sections of either field, um, roads running between them, or castle, uh, and a few other little things. And you place them such that they line up and kind of match with the existing tiles that you've placed so far. Um, building out this landscape. And as you do, you put these little uh, wooden figures, uh, these little people called meeples, famously. <laughs> um, they're these little kind of like star-shaped, if you've played board games, you've seen meeples. Um, I don't think these were officially named as such, but it has become like so pervasive that they're like iconic of the whole gaming industry at this point. I love meeples, they're super cute. <laughs> um, so you place these little meeples <laughs> um, on the tiles sometimes to sort of claim different elements like oh this is my road so then when you complete it you get points and it's just about uh, building this landscape and kind of investing your energy in completing certain things to try and get points for them uh, and there's a passive aggressive element of like whoever yeah. has the most uh meeples on a different a given thing before it closes um gets those points so you're kind of trying to it's not really it's just aggressive not passive aggressive um, <laughs> so you uh, kind of move I guess it depends into, on the, uh, the interaction, the social interaction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, it's just like a really great game. Uh, it's been around for a very long time. Um, so there are a bunch of expansions for it uh, to kind of tweak and modify and add other little systems to it, extend the game. Um, so that was kind of like the, the one that got me into it. And then, uh, like, for a long time, this uh, a group of friends, including Adam and I, that sort of sprung out from that, uh, played. Uh, there's a an iPhone version of Carcassonne that's really great. Oh, uh, really? So I didn't know played, that. Yeah, we played some asynchronous phone Carcassonne games for like a couple of years because um, you can just um, make your turn and then like go and then let pass it off to the next person. And it's um, it, it has this British narrator. So if you leave oh. the the audio notifications on, <laughs> um, it'll be like Carcassonne. It's your turn. <laughs> that's, that's really neat. Our friend Danny had this on, and he was hanging out with some other people who, who had no idea about this. And his phone just in the middle of the night just lit up and said, Cock Zone. And the friend was like, <laughs> did, did your phone just say Cock Zone? <laughs> that's a different game. <laughs> yeah, unrelated game. Unrelated. Um, yeah, so, uh, but then I... Um, I got into this website uh, called shutupandsitdown.com. Okay. Familiar. It's um, yeah. started by uh, uh, several uh, British um, former, I mean, they still do some, uh, but uh, kind of peers of ours in terms of age, uh, video game journalists. Yeah, they do, um, or they were doing, uh, it was Cool Ghost, right? Yeah, yeah. They, yeah. they since founded Cool Ghost to cover video games again, which hasn't been, it's been quiet for a while. I, but, think, you know. I think I got a kind of like a Patreon update from them recently. Uh, sounds like it's coming back, but maybe in a slightly different form. But anyway, go on. Yeah, yeah. No, they always, like, they, they seem pretty good about, like, putting their lives first. So, like, right. you know, yeah, happen, yeah. so I trust them to, like, do the work in their own time. Um, but, yeah, so Shut Up and Sit Down was their their venture, uh, Quentin Smith, Matt Lees, and uh, Paul Dean, to uh, cover board games and kind of just, like, bring attention um, like we have from the and coverage, like we have of the modern video game scene to the like thriving world of contemporary board games, which as you know, is like amazing. Yeah. Um, and so then my, my interest kind of exploded from there. Um, trying to think of like 
other you know that was kind of Carcassonne was like the the game that got me into it uh, i guess a game yeah, I that i've like, been hmm? i was just gonna say i feel like everyone's got like it, it, anyone who's who is at any level like higher into board games than like oh i do cards against humanity once a year with my friends you know mm. they have that euro game i feel like everyone's got like a euro game that got them you know that extra little bit in that's so mine was also carcassonne so that oh that's, nice that's interesting but yeah it's funny well it's, some people never get past that like i, I still like, meet people yeah. are like do you know Catan? It's like <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Yes, I've played Settlers of Catan. <laughs> I like to play other things too, but like, yeah, we, we can play Catan if you want. Sure, yeah, um, yeah. That was, uh, I think, that was my. I, I dated a girl in college, and that was like the only game that her family played was Catan. So that's, I mean, talk about passive aggressive Catan. Oh uh, well, ugly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. I don't think we played a full game ever, but <laughs> but. Yeah, um, I guess most recently, um, I mean, you know, we're, we're not playing too many board games. Well, I live with my partner, so we're going to okay. uh, get into two-player board games. Cool, um, yeah. But uh, prior to lockdown, I had been uh, really getting uh, into this game, Inish, uh, I-N-I-S. I haven't heard it recently. Yeah, it's um, I, by a couple of French designers whose names I can't remember. It's published by Matigo, but it's... Um, the third in a trilogy of games, uh, including Cyclades and Kemet, um, okay. which are all kind of like very thematic, mythological, historical um, uh, sort of war games. Uh, Cyclades is set on Greek islands. Kemet is um, an Egyptian game where you are uh, factions fighting uh, in the desert with giant mythical Egyptian monsters against each other. Uh, it's great. And uh, Inish is um, set in uh, kind of mythical Celtic times where okay. you are all uh, kind of controlling different clans who settle in a, a new land and kind of explore it and uh, kind of vie to be king of the guys, basically. You know, like you're okay. all sort of one yeah. society, but you're sort of trying to determine who's going to be the, the Bren, the high king. Um, but it is uh it's it's got an area control thing you know you're like have a map that you're you're building out you have these weird little like tessellated pieces that that stick together they're kind of these like it's hard to describe if you just uh, google it right but, um you, you kind of build out this land and each of the tiles has like a, a special property like it's the it's the hills and whoever holds the hill controls the hills has like this particular defensive advantage or something um and then you are um there are you can win by either having what exactly is it it's being in six different places at once different different territories uh having dominion over six other p players so like having a majority in in a given space where you, there are more of your guys than theirs and that means any number sort of of people under yours like they're kind of under your rule if that makes sense Sure. Yeah. So, like, yeah. being in control of like six other people total on the map, uh, or being in the same spot as six of these like temples that you can just build uh, through an action. Um, so there are just these three kind of different ways that you can win, and um, it creates this really cool effect where it's not just like 
risk where you just sort of like juke it out and then kind of like punch back and forth and eventually resolve to just do the thing that has like yeah. there's another out you know there's always a different way that someone else can be sneaking another victory so it creates this really tense like rapidly developing end state um where it's kind of the uh, it's surprisingly unpredictable and like there's always a way for someone to sort of pull something really interesting it, um, it sounds very i mean just f as an analog for games very civ you know yeah yeah it's, it's kind of civ thing going it's the yeah. i guess it, it's hard to describe but um the another one of the cool things about it is the just sort of the way you do stuff is you you draft cards every round that have all of the okay. actions you can do so it'll be like um you know cards that'll let you build a temple or um there are these things called epic tales which are um uh these unique cards that have this like amazing psychedelic art i can't remember the name of the artist but it's like this like 70s painter the psychedelic like celtic mythology oh, that wow. like ex already existed and they like built the game around the art oh wow that's awesome um, yeah it's super cool but uh they all have these like powerful one-shot effects that are like often kind of weird and specific they're like not always obvious how you can use them or to your best mm -hmm. advantage but they're sort of like give you sort of wacky unpredictable things to do um and then also there are cards just for like the basic actions of the game so you can't always just like i'm gonna move my guys and do the thing like you have a limited set of the things you can do and you know that everyone else can do so it's it's a really interesting way to like, I've, I've played a bunch of, like, Civ games as well, and they can fall into some traps. And this, like, everything about this game just, like, keeps it moving really quickly, keeps it interesting. It's just, it, I love it so much. I've been, I had it, I've had it for a while, but I just, like, decided to, to focus on it. So the several months in a row, like, whenever I managed to get people to a table, which is, like, not nearly as often I was out, like, I played games right. culminating with the game on my birthday uh, last December where we had uh, five people playing. It used to be four, but there was an expansion that added to allow for a fifth player. So like the maximum player count. And it was just like the game firing at all cylinders. It was like all of the, as more epic tail cars than I'd ever seen firing off in a single game, like everything happening, negotiation. And then it was like ultimately a three-way tie, but one person nearly managed to sneak in and scoop it at the end. It was like so dramatic and perfect. And just like everything that the game like presented as part of the fantasy and it was that's really that's great. that's awesome that's always great when like, even if you've played a game a lot and you get when you everything finally clicks and you just have the perfect playthrough that's awesome that sounds great i mean you had me at at psychedelic celtic mythology uh, yeah no this game seems oh, very up your alley that, in that sounds awesome right i need to check this out well it was i-n-i-s I-N-I-S. And you said this is a two-player a two player game? Or uh, is it... can do it with two. I think three may be the minimum for this one. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say, I... like, like that sounds... If you can get that whole thing clicking with just two people, that's that's impressive. But, yeah. Uh... <laughs> no, I think definitely, like, it's the, the best game I played was, was with five. I think this one works okay. better with, with higher players. Well, um, once, we're, once we're able to see our peers and neighbors face to face again. I'll have to check this out for sure. So I'm, I, uh, those are, that sounds great. And, uh, those are some really good, uh, you know, uh, good examples of, of 
kinds of stuff that that you're into is there any other like you know tabletop and board gaming is such a broad thing i don't think people realize how broad it is you know are yeah. you also into you know tabletop role-playing games did you play magic the gathering or other card games like that or anything you know yeah all all the above <laughs> I do yeah all okay things. okay awesome yeah um yeah i mean i have um I, I have played a fair amount of D&D over the years or other tabletop role-playing games. I find D&D kind of stressful, which is, you know, a lot yeah, of... Yeah, it can be. You know, it, it's, it's just baggage. But, um, <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm not playing D&D at the moment, but I've played uh, other ones. I For a while, I got into this one called uh, Blades in the Dark. Uh, have you heard of this? It's I, I've, yeah, I've heard of it. I haven't played it myself, though. Yeah, it's great. It's in the sort of powered by the apocalypse lineage uh so it's if, if you or, or your listeners aren't familiar that's kind of like a, a system for role-playing games um based on rolling 2d6 and there's like a range of points where there's like uh, for a, a, the top end like if you just like, roll like a, an 11 or a 12 you just succeed you do the thing you're trying to do but then there's this middle range of mixed success where like you Okay. Do what you want to do, but there's there's a cost, or like where something else happens, or there's a twist. Um, it's very kind of like player and action forward. It's not super mechanically complicated like D and D, which is really simulationist and all about right. sort of like crunchy rules for everything. It's much more just kind of like here's a very flexible system through which this DM can like help you do anything. But Blades in the Dark is is using that, but in like a Victorian steampunk. Uh, crime okay. setting so it's kind of like dishonored basically sounds very jack the ripper-ish yeah yeah, it can yeah be. that's awesome it can be it's fun um it sounds kind of like have you tried out um dungeon world yeah i i yeah. haven't but it, it is very similar it's that's yeah. the same lineage. yeah it's yeah. the same it's yeah that i i don't uh, I, I think it was maybe like an episode of the Waypoint podcast. Uh, Austin Walker was talking about um, just a concept uh, when it comes to tabletop games where there are tabletop RPGs that let you like fail forward in the campaign. And it, that's the those are those kinds of games where it's like, well, I didn't win the role and I failed, but instead of being penalized and my character being damaged or whatever i'm i'm failing forward and uh like his his point was that a good dm should be able to do that and that these games are are, are he was talking about i think dungeon world or maybe another one in that same maybe it was even uh uh daggers in the dark you said blades in the dark yeah blades in the dark. He, he ran a campaign of that in um friends of the table the the mary elda season okay actually so then the i did it might have been he might have been talking about about uh, that then uh, just but yeah. saying that you know it, it helps you um, basically you know failing forward lets you continue the story and 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 react to something in more creative ways and I I um, I share your sentiment about D and D it's fine it's okay but um, I mean I think I also was a slightly. <laughs> uh, prejudice against it because my first tabletop rpg was gurps and it was like the weird you know the punk version of of dnd that was oh we have sci-fi and you can do whatever you want you can make your own stuff you don't have to worry about being a, a paladin or a dwarf or anything like that so um 
anyway, I totally lost my train of thought there, but uh, <laughs> that's cool. That's really cool. Uh, that sounds, yeah. that sounds awesome. And you said you played like, you know, magic, the gathering and stuff. And yeah, I, um, I played magic back in like way back in, in elementary school. Uh, so mm-hmm. I played in like 1995, 96 thereabouts. Um, so this was around like fourth edition. Is that what it's called? Okay. Edition is D&D. Fourth something. Uh, Arabian Nights, Ice Age, thereabouts. Um, so I, I did it back a bit back in the day. But even then, at the time, I, I loved the game. But I, I was I balked at the economic model. I was like, right. I don't have the money for this shit. Like, this game is yeah. cool. But like, this is wild how much money they expect you to spend. Yeah. And, uh, and I still feel that way, to be honest. Like, I think uh, Richard Garfield's an incredible designer. And I, I enjoy magic. But just the the random card purchasing model uh, is I really struggle with. And more recently I played Hearthstone um, <laughs> for uh, a, pretty seriously for a while. You know, I, I've spent more money than I would like to admit <laughs> probably <laughs> in that game. Ultimately uh, I haven't done a tally and I, I don't intend to. <laughs> I, <laughs> probably I best not gone, to. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't gone back for a while. Um, I, it sort of lost its luster for me. Um, but the real card game love of my life was uh, Android Netrunner. Oh, right. Yes. Actually, I remember you, you used to talk about it uh, back back when we on yeah. the Slack channel. Definitely, I remember on yeah, Twitter. I was obsessed. I was so obsessed. <laughs> that game occupied maybe a bigger chunk of my like waking consciousness than like any other single game <laughs> for a while. You know, like it just it, it runs deep. It was. Um, so Netrunner, the original Netrunner, was in the late 90s, also made by Richard Garfield, uh, who made Magic. Um, uh, and then it was revived by Fantasy Flight Games uh, in 2012, I want to say, thereabouts, uh, and ran for several years before it was um, uh, canceled again a couple of years ago. Uh, but it's an asymmetric two-player card game um, set in a dystopian cyberpunk future, uh, where one player is a mega corporation. Uh, one of one of several, uh, and another is uh, a hacker, a lone hacker trying to bring them down. Uh, so they have totally different card pools, totally different rules and mechanics. The corporation is like building servers with um, things called uh, ice uh, intrusion countermeasure something. It's, it's like literally directly from I, Gibson. Yeah, I was gonna say it's it's a it's a Gibson term. It's yeah, from, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, all of this is just like every possible sort of cyberpunk and like tons of other sci-fi reference cherry-picked very lovingly into this whole world. But um, so they're like building servers and trying to like advance out secret agendas, uh, trying to score seven points before the runner um, literally breaks into the the servers that they're building um, or their deck is a server called R&D, uh, so they can go in there and search it, or their hand, uh, which is called um, HQ, uh, or their garbage, which is called the archives. So it's kind of <laughs> all of the kind of conventional elements of a card game. You know, they've got a hand, they've got a deck, they're playing cards out on the table, and then they have, you know, a, a trash. But those are all active spaces, you know, kind of metaphorical space within the game that the the other player is kind of trying to penetrate and search for. And the runner, has, it's like a more conventional, it's kind of like magic where they are like playing out hardware and programs and, and resources and other kind of like building up abilities to sort of... Um, kind of have different ways to kind of like have an economy to sustain them and kind of get into the servers. But 
it's just it's the fucking best. It's like <laughs> such a cool card game. Nothing else I've seen. Card or video game really has been like it in terms of just like being really interesting. Like the inter- endless interactions of mechanics, the way it kind of used every element of it used uh, every part of the card game buffalo you know right yeah and uh, like it's one of the only games i've played that's not just some kind of like derivative of magic on some level where you're just sort of like hitting each other with with creatures until the other one goes down right yeah it's funny because uh i mean that's one of those i see it on the shelf at the uh, the the game shop near my near me red castle and i always i've always wanted to play it and they have this just they have all the all the different it's got multiple expansions right or yeah it, it had yeah. like um so they they did what a, they called a living card game model where right. instead of buying random packs you have like fixed expansions so it's like there's like a you know, it's, it's like any game where there's like a cycle of cards or something, but instead of yeah. like buying five random ones, you get like a complete set of complete plays out of like, here are all of these ones, you know, you, you or they're like both like smaller data packs that had like 20 cards or something. And then like bigger thematic expansions that would have like several different factions and kind of be, but uh, it had several years of, of cycles. Yeah, that's the, I, um, all the uh, expansions and the the base set and everything would be on the shelf. And so I had a group of friends that um, in in high school and college, they played, they played the Pokemon uh, card game and and I got them into magic and it was maybe the worst decision I've ever made because uh, they are a very competitive bunch. And at the time, you know, we were all between you know, various ages. Usually everyone was between the ages of like 17 to 21, you know, in this in this group at the time. And so we had a lot of, uh, I guess you could say, disposable income because whether we were in high school with jobs or just, you know, extra yeah. extra money just laying around because we didn't have to pay rent. That's the target. Uh, they would, yeah, they would be spending like, you know, $100 every couple of weeks just for one or two cards. And uh, they would be, they would, it would just be creating strategies just to outdo each other. Not because you had a cool deck idea. You're just trying to outdo the other person, <laughs> you know, key combinations or whatever. And um, so I kind of dropped magic after that, but I tried to get them to play some other games. And, 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 and that was, uh, uh, that was one of them, and I just never, just never quite got him to get to get to do that. So maybe I'll try again sometime because I still meet up with them and play some other stuff every once in a while. But yeah, that's it's well, and actually the whole reason I got into it or interested in it, I should say, was um, was recently again was because of you know back when we would talk about or I would see you talking about that on Slack and whatever, and and I like cyberpunk stuff, so it's always just seems something like I should check out. Yeah, it's it's unfortunately defunct now, sort of. Yeah. Like they, they canceled it. I think Wizards of the Coast pulled the licensing rights for some reasons that are, are oh. still not clear. But um, it, it still exists somehow. And there's um, there's like an online platform that's that's actually quite good oh, really? called uh, Jinteki.net. Jinteki uh, is one of the corporations uh, in the game, the sort of Japanese okay. uh, biotech. Um, but it's... Uh, at, at this point, it's, it, it seems 
uh, even less likely that they're going to be litigious about it. They like, it was a little legal throat clearing about it once or twice, but it, it was never yeah. actually shut down. But there's, um, yeah, it's like a pretty good web-based platform where you can play against other people. I keep meaning to go back, but I've been away from it for years and I'm intimidated. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, a, I mean, that's one of the things I think about, about, uh, board games and, and, board games living card games that sort of thing and uh, in particular you take a few months weeks years out and then coming back to it, it's always very daunting because there's entirely new rules and you have to relearn everything i oh I, yeah I, especially I with with a card game where you, you don't yeah. want to be the guy who has to spend like 30 seconds looking every time they do anything <laughs> what does this do what <laughs> remind me that yeah okay and yeah, like yeah, when i was into it and when i was playing Neverner, i was just like i was obsessed you know i was like reading card reviews and previews and thinking about strategies yeah. so i like i had the whole like active card pool in my mind there for a minute which you sort of need to on some level to like really right. play the game well you need to like there's a lot of hidden information you know like making runs and flipping over a card and having to deal with whatever the consequences are. So if you don't know what all those consequences could be, you're at kind of a disadvantage. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to check out, uh, you said it's Jinteki. Jinteki.net. Yeah. I don't know how, out. how easy it is to get it. If you don't know how to act, play the actual game, but we well, can, you know, uh, I'll make, I'll give it an honest go. <laughs> Let's do a Discord call. I, I can teach you sometime. Okay. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, that'd be really yeah. good. Um, so I, you know, I'm curious. Have you ever, have you ever tried to do, to make your own card game, or do you have any desire to do that? Uh, I, yes, I have. I've always wanted to to make games. I, I have a lot of like have finished projects and mechanics mm-hmm. and things I've noodled around with. The the furthest I have gotten with uh with making games uh i guess is um back when i was involved in these things called mega games Mm -hmm. which are um sort of these kind of like a larp it's like a big live action role-playing game of like in in the case of the ones we were doing like 50 60 plus people in a place uh, <laughs> things we cannot do for the foreseeable future um, over, <laughs> yeah. over the course of an entire day uh, playing out these uh, games. So the, the one that I uh, I didn't help create it, but um, Shut Up and Sit Down popularized it uh, by going to and recording a game called Watch the Skies, which was about, um, it's sort of like Model United Nations, but uh, for alien invasion. So you have teams oh. representing different nations of the world. Uh, so when we first played, we were the United States. Uh, I was the president. Uh, my partner was the um, uh, secretary of state. Um, a friend was the military person, like a chief scientist and a vice president. And all these other different teams of, of friends coming in um, were, were different nations of the world with, with uh, you know, sim roles. And then there was a team of alien invaders um, and then the game plays out over half hour turns where we would spend half of the time together as a team, like kind of strategizing, you know, distributing resources. You had like a finite amount of like poker chips per turn that represented like the budget that the president could kind of um, put towards the various parts of the game. And okay. then we would split up into the various parts. So like all the military people would go uh, to a big map of the world and like push little jet fighters around um, all of the. Uh, the UN, uh, the diplomats would go and have the UN where they would go and like discuss matters, you know, they would come with different crises would come up and there were um, 
uh, basically DMs, you know, um, game masters running the whole thing, like a whole team yeah. of them. Um, it's, a, it's a whole production. Uh, and this sort of scenario plays out over the course of a day with like half hour turns representing like a year or something or six months or something. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's sort of like a role playing board game LARP. That's and really cool. It's it's a ton of fun. Yeah. I So I, we played it in the first time this came to the United States. So these were developed in England by a bunch of like old middle aged war gamers who have been doing this okay. in the 80s. Shut up and sit down, covers it. And everyone around the globe was like, this is amazing. We all want to do this. Um, and so they like licensed to watch the skies, um, including the people who did it in New York. Uh, we became friends with the organizers. And then uh, my, my partner and I ended up on the board uh, running oh. it here of the Make Game Society here in the United oh, States. Wow. Uh, so we produced mostly watch the skies. We kind of like made, I made gestures towards designing other things. My, my big grand unfinished work was watch the stars, which was a, um, like a galactic forex, basically. Like I wanted to do Babylon okay. five, the mega game where like everyone represents teams of different species in like a space UN during a kind of tenuous piece. That's really cool. <laughs> Uh, it would be fun. It never came together. Maybe someday. Maybe but, uh, someday. Yeah. So that's kind of the, the closest I've come to making things that actually like got up on their feet was um, I was on the board um, that helped produce these. So I kind of helped. We modified the game a fair amount from the original, um, uh, some to its detriment, I think. Like uh, we like balanced it more. Like there was kind of a lot of the kind of desire from the American players was to make it more board gamey, more mechanical and more like okay. quote unquote balanced as opposed to the original where just like the United States was just richer than the other ones. And like, it was kind of more like simulation-y and like imbalanced towards right. like kind of trying to play out the scenario. And it was funny because like we were in the U S we just had more stuff and we um, went in wanting to, just be XCOM basically. We were just like, we're gonna okay, we're gonna have yeah. the most money, the most badass tech and military. Let's just like snowball that and like be the world's like protection force. And everyone mistrusted us from the get-go because we were the United States, of course. Um, and then they assumed we were in collusion with the aliens when we were literally the only team that hadn't been communicating with them. Okay. Uh, but it was just, you know, the game, it, it balanced itself around the imbalances, you know, and that was part of the fun. Right. Like, I think it was hurt when we tried to sort of, like, make it more fair, ultimately. Um, yeah, that, so was, that makes sense. Yeah. So I was involved in kind of administering and modifying that game for, for several years. And then more recently, I, I helped... Uh, uh, my friend Ian has this group uh, back in New York called Broken Ghost Immersives, uh, that does sort of like the indie theater version of, of these mega games um, where he's, okay. he's mostly just kind of a one-man show developing them himself. But uh, Ian and I helped him uh, helped him for a bit with a few things. Um, so yeah, these kind of like theatrical games is because they tie my, my theater experience where I have yeah. kind of a, a bit of, of groundwork and actually like getting stuff done. Um, and I just think they're really interesting. I think it's like kind of an untapped space. Yeah, that's uh, it's really um, well. First of all, it's it's totally you, like <laughs> your background and 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 all of your interests kind of rolled into one. So it, I, that sounds awesome. First of all, but also, uh, you know, I have a friend. Actually, she's she's my she's my old roommate, um, and she she does a lot of uh, LARPing stuff, um, 
And I think it's similar. She never really explained a lot of it, except for one where it was like everyone was in a house and you did like a, it was like a, a high school party sleepover thing. <laughs> uh, and that's what you were, you were LARPing as, as if, and, and, uh, you know, she and her friends were in their early to mid thirties. So, and they're, but they're LARPing like high schooler kids. It sounded fun. I, I didn't, I did not attend, but uh, it's funny because I think, yeah, it sounded great. It sounded really, really fun. Uh, I know she does a lot of other similar stuff. Like her, her birthday. Nordic LARP, I I believe is what it's called. There's like this whole scene in Scandinavia where they do like American LARP is traditionally sort of like sword and sorcery throwing little throwing little fireball beanbags at each other, that kind of thing. Um, But Nordic LARP is kind of like like where you're describing your friend does, where it's like playing out real scenarios. It'll be like kind of like the the funeral of of someone that died of AIDS or like a high school sleepover or um, or other more fantastical things like um, getting a battleship, renting a battleship to do a Battlestar Galactica thing. But it's more about like costumes and kind of like immersion and acting, not just sort of like fighting with uh, buffer weapons. It sounds it sounds like the kind of thing that I would be super into, uh, but you and and my friend uh, Jesse are the only two people that I have know personally who do anything like that. Because I think I mean you totally nailed it. Most people, especially in America, when they hear LARP, they think of fireball beanbags and that sort of thing. Um, and so, and just in this conversation and, and knowing you know my old roommate and stuff, it totally expanded my idea of what LARPing was. And I didn't have anything against it to begin with. I used to, think it was actually kind of sounds kind of rad but you know it's yeah no i, I love fighting with pretend swords so I'm oh yeah totally. down for that too yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely uh it was a that was a large part of my childhood was fighting with pretend swords so for sure. um yeah so um okay so kind of as we as we near towards the the end of the episode here i was I was uh, hoping I could get maybe some advice or recommendations for you from you for people who might be listening who like video games, but haven't really gotten into tabletop gaming, uh, but maybe are interested in it. But what, what what sort of uh, what, where would what what direction would you point them in? Um, I mean, I guess probably the same. The, what worked for me in that regard is I'd probably point them towards shut up and sit down. Uh, okay. Both uh, shutupandsitdown.com is their website. They've got a YouTube channel. They have a podcast, um, just like regular board game reviews. And uh, the podcast is kind of like a little more freeform uh, discussion about stuff that they've seen. But uh, that is what personally turned me onto like many, if not most, of the games that I have fallen in love with over the last like five or so, five plus awesome. years. Um, and so I think, especially if you're coming from video games, like they are. Um, the, the founders are our video games journalists, you know, they're, they're our mm-hmm. peers. So they, they have that same enthusiasm and understanding and then we'll put it in those terms a lot of the time. Uh, but yeah, that website and like the, if you can filter it to like games they recommend and just click around, find stuff that's interesting to you. And yeah, just like find uh, board games are great because they, they have like, orcs and space marines and elves right. and yeah. all the kind of standard stuff but there's also like games about um 
building fast food chains or being like landlords in Chinatown. And there's sort of like a, a whole range of like themes and stories and stuff you can do that's like well beyond what video games ever touch. So I think just, yeah. just poke around and see what's out there and, and look what, find what looks exciting to you. Have uh, By chance, have you uh, checked out Dice Breakers at all? Um, Dice Breakers. That sounds um, familiar. So uh, it's it's the Euro Gamer US Gamer um, uh, company. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's their like you know board game tabletop gaming focused. Yeah, um, I've seen a few of their videos. Yeah, um, I would I would yeah, also piggyback. Well. Yeah, I would piggyback and say that they're pretty good too. And definitely shut up and sit down. Um, any any games maybe that you would uh, suggest? I mean, Carcassonne, like we talked about, I think it still right. holds up as like a, just this perfect balance of like really easy to learn, but like has this extraordinary depth. Like you can play it for years and years and not have, have mastered it. Uh, and so that's a really good one. Um, it's a, another super old one, but uh, just off the top of my head, you know, Cosmic Encounter. I don't know Cosmic Encounter. Oh, man. Cosmic Encounter is from the 70s originally, so it is like a literal dinosaur by modern <laughs> board game standards. Um, but it is... Um, everyone is a different alien species. Uh, it's a pretty simple game of, like, you have, I think, five planets uh, in front of you with, like, a bunch of saucers to protect them, and you're trying to, like, establish colonies on a certain number of planets outside of your system before someone else does. Okay. Um, and it's like very simple mechanics of like kind of like invasion and negotiating to get people to help you on either side as the attacker or defender. But everyone is a different alien species with like radically different powers that do like very different, totally game breaking things. Um, and the, the correct way to play, you can play with them face up. But the correct way to play, I think, is where you play with them face down until you flip them when they become relevant. So okay. it is like an unknown of like who is out there and what they can do. Um, but it's this like really fun, simple game that it's, it gets totally broken. You know, it's like, it is unfair. <laughs> and so the game becomes around like figuring that out, like, oh, this person is going to have a huge advantage if we don't sort of like rally together and stop them. Um, but it's, just, like, it's okay. fun and fast. It's just full of crazy bullshit. It, it's like a, there's a reason it stuck around for as long as it has. It's okay. like a million expansions at this point, so there's like an endless amount of of content for it. I feel like this whole episode has really just been me, uh, like milking recommendations out of you for different stuff I need to check out. So I'm putting I mean, that one on the list too. Yeah, that's always one of my favorite things to be to to do. To be honest, so yeah, yeah. All right, cool. Um, so looking to the future, are there any you know? games you're looking forward to out there doesn't have to be board games could be video games too yeah um well imminently i'm, I'm looking forward to animal play uh, animal crossing oh yeah, unlocking, yeah. Uh, which i think is going to be the perfect game for for right now uh, i've never played one of these before but i i bought this because it, it seems cool it seems like it'll be a fun way to socialize especially yeah um, that's true i guess on the horizon probably elden ring is the thing I, I'm most excited yeah. for. I mean, we, I may be able to do so because we know so little, you know, but it's yeah. like I have such an implicit trust in From Software. Um, 
to and especially going back to like mythic fantasy like i sekiro was mechanically my favorite of their game so far it was incredible yes. and, and, yeah uh, i'm really excited to see what they do of going back to like uh dark souls dark souls style but but not dark souls you know like not weighed down by the just sort of the history and the references and really yeah. getting to do something totally fresh by chance did you play kingsfield or shadow tower oh i haven't those are their old ones they're old ones i you know i can't i can't in good conscience recommend you go out <laughs> and play it but um there so there is a thing called the elden ring uh in some oh. of those games uh and you know all of their games have well i'm not necessarily the elden ring but there's elden and and that sort of thing shows up there but um you know those those are talk about a bunch of bullshit in the game that's that's what that's what those are those games are but there's like this nugget of brilliance in there i mean king's field 2 is metroid prime 10 years before metroid prime it's it's Cool. rather incredible how how they did that but um you go back and play those and you can see the you know oh actually they made dark souls well before they actually made dark souls interesting yeah I'm, I'm curious i'm curious uh if if there's any sort of thread to that um you know between elden ring and uh, and their their older stuff and of course with dark souls and all that stuff yeah i mean as you know i'm a huge from software fan Um, and all of our listeners know that too, but (laughs) yeah, I'm definitely, definitely interested in that game. All right, man. Um, Well, uh, you got any projects or plugs you'd like to, to shout out as we wrap Uh, up? Not really. No. Yeah. I'm I'm not working on anything exciting at work or I don't have anything (laughs) anything exciting going on outside of it. I just moved across the country somewhat recently. So I feel like I'm still kind of, reeling from that a little bit but um no nothing exciting i wish i did okay well uh why don't you uh you know shout out your twitter at least sure uh you can follow me on twitter at the willennium two l's two n's boom the willennium there you go um all right this was super fun. I, I'm really glad we got a chance to chat and catch up a bit. It's yeah, I absolutely. actually this may be like one of the first or only times we've actually chatted voice to voice. It's not face. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> no. It we, might be. Um, almost all of our interactions have been on Slack or like Twitter DMs. Twitter. So yeah. Nice yeah, to yeah. Actually, uh, actually talk to you. Yeah. Yeah. This has been great. Um, all right, man. Well, uh, take care out there. Be safe. Um, enjoy the rest of your night. Thank you. Likewise. Thanks once again to Will Fulton for coming on the show this week. I really appreciate it. It was a great time. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to the interview as well. Before you guys go, I just want to say real quick, considering that we talked about tabletop gaming this week, I recently published my own tabletop game, Super Mutant Slayers. It's a card-based role-playing game light based on games like Destiny, Monster Hunter, Pokemon, and Fantasy Star. So if you like any of those things or you're just looking for uh, a game to play while you're stuck inside, you can check that out on my itch.io store page, the link to which is at my Twitter, which is at Brendan underscore LH. And of course, be sure to follow Will at The Willennium, that is T-H-E-W-I-L-L-E-N-N-I-U-M. And be sure to follow PNB on Twitter at PNB Show. All right, guys, taking us out this week, I think I'm just going to drop in some really chill Animal Crossing music. I haven't really been playing that game, but that soundtrack is just super chill, and I think that's something that we all need these days. 
hope you guys are doing well, staying safe. We'll be back soon with uh, more episodes of side quests that I'm really excited for you guys to hear. Until then, take it easy, guys, and enjoy the rest of your day.